This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the podcast where we're asking what happened to that guy you were seeing. It's a HIPAA violation. I'm your host, Alice Vaughn, and with me is my fantastic co-host, Kate Kennedy. How are you doing today? Hanging in there, you know, uh, working off a bad sunburn and a decent weekend hangover, but had a great time. I just got back from Palm Springs with a bunch of friends for the weekend, little last minute vacation. So chilling and trying to get back to reality, but doing great. It's going to peel. It's not going to peel. I think it's going to be fine in like a day. Thank God I took my top off in time because otherwise it would have had a weird tan line. As opposed to what, a farmer's tan? Well, I was wearing one of those like uh, strapless like bikinis. So I actually kind of do have like, it's like a straight line, like right on top of my tits. Just like, boom, boom. So luckily I took it off in time. So it's not too, too strong because I don't tan. I'm so pale, but I will turn pink and I will stay pink for a very long time. I think my record was like ages zero through four. I was just pink as a child. I personally love that bathing suits become more and more intricate as the seasons go by. So it's no longer, hey, I just have a lot, one or two lines. It's right, just the classic triangles. It's now like this weird cutout mesh. I had like a crochet one one time. That was interesting. Just like I looked, I looked like I'd done it on purpose. I was like, this actually looks kind of cool. And if I did tan, I would totally do this. But yeah, I don't. So it just makes me look kind of red and rashy. It's not hot. Towards the end of the summer, I know I'm going to a nude beach. And, you know, even though I'm going to be at a nude beach and feeling very comfortable around the people, I kind of really want to wear like floral pasties (laughs) just so I have flowers around my tits, my areolas. Luckily, someone brought uh, several pasties. One of my girlfriends brought like a whole pack. And I think like Saturday afternoon was like pasties for everyone. So one of the guys, like one of my big guy friends who's like very hairy, walks out with like two stars and they're like lopsided. I was like, oh, baby, you got to like pull the titties up and then you put the sticker on. There was lots of dressing up. It was it was quite fun. Jamie, what's the most intricate uh, bathing suit you've had nowadays? It's definitely the fishnet bathing suits. It gets me every time. The tan lines from those are ridiculous. Oh, no. Just fish scales everywhere. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Any of those kind of like knit where you pull it apart, it comes in a little plastic bag. And then you like put it on. You're like, oh, this is an interesting pattern I have on me now. Or the electrical tape pasties. Just the the big haphazard X's. It's not a good look. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you guys have to try covering up for like things like dancing, right? I mean, how do you, you can't really get away. You have to eventually cover that up with what bronzer or self-tanner, right? Uh, You don't want to use bronzer or anything when you're, well, you don't want to use any kind of like liquid lotion or anything when you're dancing. You are the most hated girl in the strip club if you are the one putting that on. I danced with this girl for a while in Portland who was like the bad bitch stripper at the club. Like she was like, I'm the number one. I'm the main, I don't know, whatever. Like that's a source of pride. But uh, she would like stand in the middle of the dressing room and she would, I swear to God, I'm not making this up, cover herself head to toe in that Sally Hansen fake pantyhose spray lotion that makes you like tan. It's basically just like liquid bronzer. And she, I mean, every inch of this girl, she would cover and it's like thick. It's really viscous. It has a smell like, oh, it was disgusting. And she would kind of like look over at everybody being like, yeah, fucking do you, you have a problem with me? You have a problem? Because if you're on the pole after her, 
the pole is covered in that. It's covered in gunk and it's slippery. Uh, it's, it's actually a safety hazard. Like they tell you the first thing when you're hired at any strip club, if you're a new stripper, absolutely no lotion. Because imagine putting, it's basically putting lube on a brass pole. Someone's going to fall and break their tailbone. Like we don't want any busted vaginas. That's not what this club is about. <laughs> By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we have the fantastic Jamie Jett joining us on the show today. Jamie, do you dance? I do not dance. I just do porn. <laughs> I went straight to the hardcore explicit stuff. I have no dancing skills. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need dancing skills to be a stripper. That is a very common misconception. I am a terrible dancer. Notably, ask anyone in my life. They will tell you. I have no rhythm no coordination. Um, and I still loved being a stripper. If you can like pop and lock your booty, that's all you got to do. I just did actually my first pole dancing class recently and it kicked my ass. I actually, I ordered a muscle relaxant from Canada. <laughs> I had to, it hurts so much. It's brutal. <laughs> I was like slightly sweating and I, I know I am out of shape, but I worked muscles where I didn't think I would work muscles. Yeah. When I first started dancing, um, like where I first became a stripper, I think in like September or October of like 2017, I literally remember waking up the next morning after my first shift and just everything, like my spine, like my knees. And I was, you're black and blue from like your ankles to your thighs for the first like two weeks. And then it goes away, like your skin acclimates and you don't bruise as much. Um, but you're literally, cause you're, jumping on the pole you're like banging your shins and especially if you don't take a class which I did not I just watched like a couple YouTube videos was like I got this I definitely know how to do this that's how I ended up with a bulge disc in my spine so if you want to be a stripper take like one class just one like Alice did be smart be prepared don't roll over on your spine I'll be in Vegas soon enough and today I actually purchased a membership to do dancing classes for a month Oh, fun! Uh, because they also had like twerking and a number of other mm. erotic type dances. Yeah. And I loved the special. They, it was like 69 bucks for the month for unlimited classes. So oh yeah, that's a really great deal. Right? Yeah. And it's month to month. Mm-hmm. Um, they won't just auto renew. Uh, they said, no, we'll renew if you ask. And I figure it's because they have so many people coming in and out. Mm. That's why they're doing it. Yeah. By the way, I've never considered Vegas as a place to live before. But last few days, ladies, uh, so right now I'm in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And I've been looking at Vegas as potentially a serious contender of in the future. Should I live there? Not you too. What do you mean? A couple of years ago, everyone in porn was like, uh, it was when they were doing the one of the laws that would make everyone employees instead of independent contractors here in California. And it was kind of the same as like, you know, five or 10 years ago, they had done the condom thing and the porn industry did the same thing. They're like, fuck you. We'll all go to Vegas. Like, we'll leave. So everyone starts like moving to Vegas. I was like, I love to visit Vegas. I love visiting. I love my friends that live there. I could never live in Vegas. Like, never. There's nothing about it appeals to me. It's so fun to visit for the weekend, but I don't like, even though I'm like, I just got back from the desert. (laughs) I love to visit the desert. It's so dry. It's so hot. I like character and old. And and Vegas is a city that's constantly new. I don't like being not around green things. Like even in LA where it's not obviously like the rainforest, but you can still go up to Malibu. There's still like Topanga Canyon. You know, I live right near Griffith Park. Like there's still that outdoors, you know, the ocean, the just all of that. Yeah. No, Vegas is, I know it's cheaper. I get why people live there. 
could never do it. Jamie, what do you think? Could you live in Vegas? I could not. I just, I'm currently in San Diego because LA was too dry and lifeless for me. So it's actually raining here today. Oh, it's raining here too. Yeah, it's a rainy day. I was just thinking about this this morning because the last Woody Allen movie was like a rainy day in New York, which is not creative at all, dude. Like stop resting on your laurels. It rains in New York all of the time. Rainy day in Los Angeles. Now you've got my attention. I love it when it rains in LA. Is there a porn parody of a rainy day in New York yet? I don't think so. I think we've been avoiding that just based on even the porn industry doesn't want to be involved with Woody Allen. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, that's too far, guys. That's yeah, we we have HBO too. We watched it. We have standards here in the porn industry. Uh Woody Allen, fuck that. No, fucking your own adopted daughter. I mean is that a porn? Oh. Par- yeah, is there a porno of that? A thousand percent. There, there definitely is. Uh, but it's a fantasy. Don't do it in real life. It's fucked up. You would think that, uh, you know, Woody Allen is directing half of these. He's like, okay, your stepdaughter. They did. I mean, did you watch Allen vs. Pharaoh? Allen vs. Pharaoh? No. Mm-hmm. Okay, you should. It's. I mean, I was like riveted. It doesn't have too much Ronin in it, which is great because, like, I admire his work, but I also find him a little bit trite. Um, please don't get mad at me, Ronan Farrow. I just find you, like, there's just something about him that I find annoying. He doesn't listen to the show. You never know, Alice, what's going to be on this the internet, true. okay? You never, ever know. I just like this to cover my bases. I don't want an expose in the New York Times about me, okay? Unless, it, well, I mean, that would probably raise podcast viewership by a lot. All press is good press. Anyways. Yeah, that's true. And would be misrepresented. So I'd be fine with the downloads. <laughs> the documentary is super fascinating. And they really go through like all of his movies. And I mean, he made like a movie, I think every year for so long. He has such a long filmography. And they are all kind of like that. He's always like the older, lovable, dorky guy. And he's always like this young, young girl is like falling for him. It's like, you're just putting, it's like R. Kelly. You're like putting this out there. Like, this is your art. How are we? Or it's like Louis C.K. Louis C.K. had a joke about jacking off in front of people. And then everyone was like, so surprised that he was jacking off in front of people. It's like, he literally told you that. Like, not that I'm not offended by it, but he told you he was doing it. Like, the surprise is what I'm baffled by. It's like when R. Kelly goes to McDonald's, it's just, you know, to place another order and just happens to be another person to piss on. (laughs) That was another good documentary. I am shocked there's not more people coming out against R. Kelly. Good stuff. Such light topics. How did we get here from stripping? Great question. Very good question. Stripping is fun. I'm finally back to Fiji dancing on the road coming up here in a couple of weeks, which I'm stoked about. Oh, yay. Yeah. And it is true, Alice. Like, you do. It's such a good workout. Like, when I was a house dancer, best shape of my life. I've never looked better. Like, I look at pictures from that year and I'm like, holy fucking. Like, I would never, ever do that at the gym. Thousand percent. I mostly got into it because you basically get paid to work out and drink in your underwear. And they don't let you do that at Planet Fitness. It's very frowned upon. (laughs) I mean, Planet Fitness is also the same gym that's like, hey, we're going to do a pizza party and give you bagels. (laughs) I did that joke one time and someone was like, do you think they'd let you do it at Equinox? And I was like, you think you fundamentally misunderstand how that joke works? (laughs) And also, no, I don't even think they would let me into Equinox. They shouldn't. If If I worked at Equinox, I'd be like, not this girl. Any gym that's offering you bagels and pizza is really helping their business model because, you know, the more pizza and bagels you consume, the more you're going to spend at their gym. Yes. 
Although actually, I think, and I read this one time, is that most gyms make most of their money by people that don't go to the gym, which is exactly what kind of gym member I am. My old gym that I used to belong to when I lived in the Valley would like text me and they'd be like, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. And I'd be like, I don't like this. You're interrupting the rest of my life where I eat cheese fries on my couch on Friday night. Don't text me about the gym right now. The worst part about gyms is the fact that when you try canceling, it is such a scam because they'll say, oh, well, you actually, in the fine print, look, I know you canceled in April, but you have to still pay for May and June, even though that you gave us consent in writing and you had a carrier pigeon involved and there was like six Mm -hmm. other things we made you do. I can offer you another six weeks for only 99 cents. But we're going to send this to the collections agency and the collections agency, you know, uh, unless you fax your reply, we're not going to consider it at all because that's how we work. They're the worst. It's like trying to unsubscribe from the New York Times. I've been a subscriber to the New York Times since I was 15 because it's fucking impossible to unsubscribe. You have to call them. You can't even do it online. You have to call them and have a conversation with their customer service team. And when I tried to cancel, I was in college. And I remember this because I literally had like a dollar and 75 cents in my bank account. And they were like, we can offer you 12 more weeks for only $3. And I was like, I literally don't have $3. Like you need to cancel this. And they didn't let you cancel it? They gave me another four weeks for free and then I got paid. So it didn't matter. (laughs) I was just like, I'll let it go. I do read it. So it's fine. They get you. It's the worst cult. You cannot leave. And they don't even give you a tote bag. The Atlantic gives you a dope tote bag. So does the New Yorker. I feel like kind of an asshole when I carry it because it's like, (laughs) I read the news. But, you know. I've been religiously using at my Atlantic five free articles a month for the past four years. So I understand. My problem is every time I open my uh, browser, I'll say, okay, cool. Let me read this article. And then I will accidentally go back and then re-click on the article. And it's like, oh. And then it counts as two. Yeah. Yep, I do that too. And like, I finally, I actually subscribe to the print version of The Atlantic too. Like I have the digital and I get the magazine because I just like to feel really stupid all at once, once a month (laughs) when I just get this and I sit and I'll read the whole thing. It's kind of nice for planes. I mean, I do actually like to just, there's something nice about just sitting down and actually reading. I grew up reading the paper every day too. Like with my family, we literally would take the paper and split the sections and all sit at breakfast for like a good 30 minutes reading the newspaper. What section of the paper did you get? I would always get the funnies, obviously, especially when I was younger. I love the funnies. Um, I would always read like Dear Abby. As I got older, I started reading the front page. And then so this was like our small hometown newspaper and it's a small town. So not a lot happens there. But they have this thing. They have it to this day. I still subscribe to the online edition of this paper solely for this column. It's called the TC line. And it's just a phone number that you can call and you can say anything you want and they will print it in the paper. (laughs) And a lot of them are like personal grievances about other people. And as long as you don't identify anybody, it's fine. (laughs) So you'll just get the most random things. And it's a lot of older people that live there. So you'll get like people complaining about their neighbor mowing their lawn At the wrong time, a bunch of people were really mad about like the train whistle for a while. One time, this is my favorite one I've ever seen that was ever published. No context for this. All it said was, responsible parents do not do dangerous drugs such as cocaine and then proceed to drive around town with their children in the car. (laughs) That was the whole thing. Like, who is that about? That is so specific. And do you think they read the paper? Because most people that do a lot of cocaine in a small town, I don't think they read the paper. Especially if they have a kid, they're busy, you know? 
doing cocaine and being a parent. Not a good one, but yeah. I have said multiple times that I cannot have cocaine. I know I will be addicted to it. I love Adderall, so I am not that parent. But wouldn't you be a more efficient parent if you were on cocaine? Yeah. Your kid's going to have the most kick-ass diorama at school. Their, like, sugar cube igloo is going to be perfect. It might have some extra ingredients in it, but... You know what? There should be a stipulation. If you're a parent who's participating in a student science fair, because we all know that half of them do, you need to be on cocaine. Yeah. School projects. So fun. I wish I could still do school projects. Like that, I feel like that is a skill that they like hammer home so much throughout school and it just is not applicable to real life whatsoever. I've never had an adult project where I needed to build a diorama. I would argue group projects are more relatable to real life oh, they because then you can yeah. actually see. Like, for example, we just went through a pandemic. Yeah. All the A students got their vaccinations. All the A, B students. Let's be frank. Yeah. Even a presentation, like a PowerPoint, a group, a lot of group projects. Group projects are really good for real life training because you're going to do that forever. You're always working with people. There's always going to be people that put in different amounts of effort into whatever you're doing. But there's almost never a Play-Doh aspect to the presentation that you're making. That's never happened to me in real life. I wish it happened more. I'm amazing at stuff like that, but it's just never a skill I get called on to more. Jamie, how are you in group <laughs> projects and or by group projects, I mean group orgies? Ha. Well, I used to organize group orgies. So as a party planner huh. in San Francisco, so <laughs> that kind of group project uh, was really my forte for a while. What is the most important thing to know about throwing an orgy? And please say it's a snacks. Yes. And the lube, the lube coordination. Lube coordination is very important. I agree. Here's my question. Is there a particular lube that if you're doing an orgy, you should just stay away from? Bat Dragon's got some weird cum. Yeah, it's like, really sticky. I like it. Not at an orgy because then it just... Really? Because it gets on everybody and then even if it's not on you. And then, I mean, you also have to be careful because some people are allergic to different kinds of lube. And like, I do think that's kind of like being a vegan at a, at a dinner party. Like you need yeah. to, if you are the vegan, you have to let people know. But like, I mean, I went through a thing where I was extremely allergic to silicon-based lube for a couple of years and then it went away. But I was so allergic to it. It was incredibly painful, but it's kind of hard if you have someone like that that can't have something like that on their body. In all seriousness, though, like, what is the best way to plan a group orgy? And I hope you use a system like, for example, like Doodle or something to help organize, like, what's the best time? Here are the options for food. Here are the options. Tell me more. I'm sorry. I've never planned an orgy clearly. And if I did, it would be as intricate as planning a wedding. Um, there was one that was, I was in the process of planning in 2020 that was supposed to be up in the northern forests of California. Uh, and we had rented a circle of cabins in the middle of the woods, like nothing else around for, you know, 10 miles. And we were going to have a micro burning man style orgy with a campfire in the middle. And uh, every cabin was going to be a different type of kink room. So we were gonna have like the bondage cabin and like the puppy play cabin and the like waterboarding cabin. So that was the best concept for an orgy that has existed yet, I think. That is good. It's always good to segment it off. Yeah. Because I used to help plan like uh, BDSM conventions. We were at like a hotel, so it was a little less Burning Manny. But yeah, it's really good to have puppy play arena. 
hardcore, water sports, whatever, different. We would always have different rooms for like, there'd be like a gay men's room. There'd be like a lesbian's room. There'd be like a poly pan room. So everyone can, because some people, especially like gay men, like leather men really do not like any female identifying persons at their orgies. <laughs> You're not. I remember being told one time, they're like, don't go in there. Do not. You will fuck it up. And I was like, okay, stay far away from that door. Don't want any, a bunch of gay leather dudes mad at me. They're kind of scary. This also sounds like there were quite a few people involved in this. Yeah, it was going to be like a 200-person event. That's amazing. Also, do you charge admission for that? We did, but only to equal the cost of throwing the event. It was more for the joy of, you know, doing it. Yeah. It's hard to turn a profit on those, frankly. I think people think it would be easier. But and also a lot of times it's tiered pricing. Like single females will be free, but single males will be like hundred dollars or whatever and then like couples are 50 or something like depending because you want to get like you well, you have to get the right demographics in there you have to have the right percentage of each kind of person otherwise you end up with all dudes and that's not fun unless it's a gay male orgy in this case that's what you wanted yeah open admission orgies are a little bit tricky i think yes. invite only is definitely the way to go so you can weed out the people that are like oh you smell bad i don't know if we want you here <laughs> wait a minute I've never been to an open admission orgy. What's the difference? I mean, the swingers parties in LA that are just, you know, advertised online and anyone can buy a ticket. Never attended one, but I would imagine that they're pretty different from the really carefully curated, like queer BDSM yeah. internal community events. Yeah. Probably more of a grab bag of people. In general, I think I went off on this the last time we did a pod, like literally like a few days ago. So I don't need to go off again about how incredibly uncomfortable I feel around the swinging community and how they're my least favorite kind of sex positive people. And there are exceptions to every rule. There are cool people in like almost every lifestyle. But um, I find that swingers have a very, very different understanding of consent and just like the social norms and etiquette that you would find at like a BDSM dungeon, like don't exist at swingers clubs so much. Cause I used to like do modeling at some swingers clubs and stuff. And I would just have people coming up and touching me. It's probably because people who are in BDSM dungeons are really well versed in yes. consent and negotiation. And people mm -hmm. who enter swinger spaces are probably people who've only existed in heterosexual long-term relationships and don't have the same background in consent negotiation. Yes, exactly. Like I, I very much agree with that. Cause yeah, if you're in the BDSM community at all, like it's, I would like tell people this all the time. Like it's a really nerdy hobby. Like you go to classes. Like I would go sit on like Saturday afternoons in classes for like three or four hours and like take notes. It's super dorky. Like it's not all orgies and hanging upside down by your ankles in the dungeon. It's a lot of book learning and weird costumes and uh, the costumes are the best part. I love the costume. I like anything with costumes. By costumes, are we just talking latex or, I mean... There's so many. I'm sorry. <laughs> the other end of costumes I'm thinking of is furries. No. I mean, there. I definitely... Which I know we haven't had a furry on show yet, but... There was a furry that worked at the dungeon I used to go to in Denver and his, like, fursona was a squirrel. And he had, like, a giant squirrel tail that was kind of like a backpack that he could, like... Need somewhere to store your nuts. <laughs> the... <laughs> Uh, like the fishnets, the high-heeled boots, the like the leather, the like harnesses, um, gags. I mean, I would wear all sorts of crazy stuff. Like there's so many fun because you kind of can wear whatever, but it's like sort of sexy and dark. And so like, 
you know, I would wear like cut off jean shorts with like fishnets and like super high stripper boots. And like, it's almost like being a stripper. I was always a little grungier when I was in BDSM than I was when I was stripping. But latex is cool. I never had a lot of it because it's really expensive and it's hard to take care of. Like there's a lot you have to like oil it properly. And then when you put it on, you have to cover yourself with baby powder to like pull yourself in like a hot dog casing. Wait, what? It's like a wetsuit. Yeah. Did you not know? You literally, there's like special powder that even comes with it. You literally, I've seen people like getting into it where they're just covering, they're like, they look like they're covered in white dust. They're covered in baby powder and then they slip it on because you can't have, it's so tight. You can't have any like friction. You'll literally burn your skin pulling it on if you're grabby at all. Uh, Jamie, back this up. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I'm not a latex fan because it's like putting on a wetsuit, which is my definition of torture. <laughs> yeah. And if it rips, like it's easy to rip too. So if it rips, you're done. I just went uh, wedding dress shopping recently and I was kind of shocked by what I didn't know about those dresses. So it's like I'm learning the complete opposite. By the way, I didn't know when it came to wedding dress shopping. So for someone who's never gone before and has never been interested in weddings, I didn't realize how many layers are involved. I didn't realize with some of them, there's like you jump into them. It's like, oh, there's a whole leotard in here and like six layers. Mm -hmm. There's like crinolines and like petticoats. And then there's like the boning. There's so much. They're really complicated and they only look good if they're well tailored. I finally understand why they cost so much because you're not wearing one dress. You're wearing six dresses that are all like very specifically cut. The fabric is really expensive. And like I would tell this because I worked in bridal as a bridal consultant for like a year when I was in college. Shut up. Yeah, I know. I was like wondering why you hadn't called me about this. I thought you knew that. What? Yeah, I know. I literally sold in like altered wedding dresses. I know everything about this. Like, I can tell you, like, what brands you would like to. Like, we could talk about this later if you want. I would always tell people, like, you need to buy $300 to $500 below your max budget because a wedding dress only looks good if it's, like, tailored properly. And they're purposely made bigger. Like, they're very, very long because it's a lot easier to hem than to add fabric. So they're made in, like, that sample size. And then you really need to have them taken in and altered and doing all of that because, like, a well-tailored dress made out of quality material is going to look so much better than a more expensive, more elaborate dress that doesn't fit you right. And I would always say like silk or like something like that's a natural fiber. Like I would warn people against going to David's Bridal all of the time because especially when I was working there, like their lace is from China and it's so cheap and it's treated with like chemicals. We literally would have brides that would come in with like rashes oh. from the lace. Like you don't want that on your wedding. So don't yell at me. Did you go to David's Bridal? I went to look. It's fine to go look. I would tell them like, it's totally fine to go look. You're definitely going to get a better experience if you go to like a smaller local shop. Like look for an old lady. You want like a grandma who works there because she's going to know exactly what to do with it. But I didn't mean to buy something and I did because, okay, so in my defense... So, Jamie, I recently got engaged and my oh. spouse was out of town. So I decided, all right, let me try on some wedding dresses because I thought to myself, there's so many options. I don't know what cut's going to look good on me. It's just going to be the look. Who the fuck cares if I go once, you know? That was a mistake. Because I basically told the lady, I said, give me something slutty. I started there. <laughs> That took me in an array of directions. 
And I realized what doesn't look good on me. There was a lot of stuff. It's like A-line does not look good on me. Uh, Strapless does not look good on me. We finally got to like the sheath cut and then they gave me something where it was a super thin layer and it exposed my entire back. It exposed my boobs to the point where it's like, I'm flat chested, Mm -hmm. but I like to show that off because I'm the type of date where it's like, you know what, if I have a flat chest, just like, I'm going to tell you. So that way, you know how much to spend on me, which is not a lot. (laughs) Uh, My self-esteem is just that low, even with my fiance, it doesn't matter. But she gave me everything that hit every single note and it only costs like 180 bucks. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, and that's with alterations. Oh, that's really not bad at all then. When I was doing this, and this was like almost 10 years ago, but I think the average cost of a wedding dress was somewhere, like it was around 2,500. But we would regularly sell dresses that were between three and $5,000. And you're just like, okay. Like this is, I was so bad at it. Cause I would be like, cause we work on commission when you're doing that. And like, they would try on like this $5,000 dress and be like, Hey, there's like a really similar one on the clearance rack. That's a hundred dollars. Like if you add a sash to this and like alter it, it's going to look exactly the same, but it'll be a hundred dollars. So they would always buy the dress, but instead of making like $500 commission, I would get $10. Oh. Like my boss was constantly frustrated with me. She's like, you're not good at this. And I was like, I know, but they got the dress that they liked. That's the point. Right. And then I, quit because I was making no money. And also she was really mean to me. So, but yeah, $180, you don't need to feel bad about buying that. That's not a big deal at all. Even if you change your mind later, you can get another one. It was $180. Exactly. So I thought to myself, you know what? Worst case scenario, I dye this into red or black and I have a beautiful dress for an evening event. Yes. Look, it's not the cheapest, but it's also not the worst when it comes to a wedding dress. Yeah, no, wedding dresses are incredibly expensive. And they are, they're just, they're complicated garments when you're doing all of the alterations. Then you do like the bustle in them. I had to sew a lot of bustles. So if anyone needs needs a bustle done, I know how to do that. You've done really elaborate costumes for your feature dancing too, right? I have to make more right now because I have like three dates coming up in Sacramento. So I have like two shows a night. So it's like six shows total. And right now I only have like one costume for it. But yeah, like feature dancing is so fun because it's not like being a house dancer where like if you just work at a strip club, you can kind of wear whatever within their like wardrobe guidelines. And it's most it's usually like, you know, a little bikini or whatever. But for feature dancing, like I go to there's like these little family owned shops like all along Hollywood Boulevard and they like custom make pieces and costumes and like I'm pretty thrifty. So I actually usually buy the ones that get rejected that are on the clearance rack and then I alter them. But you get to add everything. Like when I started, when you start feature dancing, you literally have to take lessons about how to do it because there's so many different like etiquettes and what you tip out and how your music goes and whether or not you need to hire an assistant and all of this stuff. And so they literally like take you shopping and they're like, you have to buy a bedazzler, like order one now. You, You have to have one for this job. So I like bought a bedazzler and then you literally get these outfits and then you just cover them in sparkles. And it's my favorite thing. It's like the closest you can be as a woman to being a drag queen. It's the best. When I was in Detroit, I accidentally walked into a drag queen show. How do you accidentally? Because they were doing it in this uh, common area where they have a bunch of restaurants, but it was the evening on a weekend. And I didn't realize because it wasn't a publicized event anywhere. And I thought they were just doing like, oh, they're probably all getting food and or listening to music. So I opened the door and I walk in and it's like, oh, 
drag queens. Nice. This is awesome. They're fun. I see the appeal of it. Oh, I love it. I took a class in college that was like racism, sexism, like gender representations in the media. It was super fascinating. And like one of the assignments for the class was we all had to go to a drag show together. So everyone went and like our teacher was like this awesome like little older black woman. Her name was Polly. And she was like such a fucking badass. And she like took us down and she's like throwing money. Like she's having so much fun. And it was so interesting. And then the next day in class, we like all talked about like what our expectations were and then like how it differed and like what it was. I mean, it was their makeup. Everything is so like, I just, I was sitting, I was like, I just, it made me feel bad about myself. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Like everyone here is prettier than me. Everyone here has figured out how their bronzer works, and I have never been able to climb that mountain. Jamie, have you been able to climb that mountain when it comes to doing your own makeup on set? I thought I knew how to do makeup, and then I got to porn and had professionals doing my makeup and realized that I was fucking awful at it. Whenever I see a scene come out where I did my own makeup, especially in the beginning, it's very cringy. (laughs) It hurts just a little bit. Oh, yeah. I was terrified of fake eyelashes. Oh, no. There's a couple of scenes where I've done where if anyone ever tags me in them, I just block that person. I'm like, I don't want to be associated with this. (laughs) Like, and there's somewhere it's like, it wasn't even me. Like, there's somewhere a different makeup artist did it. And I'm like, that looks so fucking bad. And I didn't realize at the time how bad it looked or like the lighting was real. There's a whole scene of pictures where I just like look like I have jaundice. Because I'm like really pale and they had me in front of all white walls and then the lighting was super yellow. I literally look like I am suffering some sort of liver related disease. It is not fl- like I like send, I remember sending them. It's like one of the only times I've ever like contacted my agent and I like sent him these pictures. I was like, these look fucking awful. I- I'm serious. And he even he agreed. He's like, yeah, those look so bad. You don't have to promote that. <laughs> Jamie, what's the worst scene you've done so far? Let's see. Uh, there was... A scene that I was cast in that was a stepbrother scene, you know, with the dad present on set, not, you know, involved in the scene. He was more of an extra, but the uh, the dialogue was just hyper-realistic to the point of just, it was, it was dramatically uncomfortable when we were rehearsing it. And uh, midway through the scene, running around in knee socks, uh, I slipped on a lube-covered floor and broke my toe. <laughs> which was actually a relief because it meant that I didn't have to do that scene. So got out of jail free a little bit and my toe healed. So yeah. That's the worst one. I think that's a winner. Yeah. Anywhere where you break a bone, you're not supposed to do that on porn scenes. Don't break bones. Don't break boners. I'm kind of also concerned when you say the uh, narration and the text the dialogue was hyper-realistic. The director was just way too into it, too. Like, he cast himself in the role of the dad in the scene and no. was way too enthusiastic about it from, like, minute one. And he was talking to me and the male talent like we were his children. And it was so unsettling. <laughs> yep. Pass. Yeah. Real creepy. Real creepy. Porn of directors, if you're listening, get off on your own time. You're getting paid right now. Jamie, you've talked about youthful porn scene aesthetics. I know that you mentioned this before coming on the show, but are you referring to the stepsister, step sibling analogy, or are we talking about something else? It's stepdaughter porn and teen porn in general, where even when, you know, the actors are 18 plus and, you know, obviously the fantasy of 
like the younger woman is a completely normal sexual fantasy in society. I have been on porn sets where the instructions have been to dance around like I'm five years old and the clothing choices have been so like things that are clearly out of the children's section. And I think that we as an industry and as performers should refuse to engage in that because I don't want to be in a scene wearing like the same jean shorts that, you know, actual children are wearing because I don't think we should be contributing to the sexualization of that clothing. So whenever anyone asks me what I think we really need to fix in the porn industry, I think that is the top of my list. We should be refusing to engage in infantilist dialogue or aestheticism on set. Yeah. So bare minimum Cole's teen section, because below that is like really treading on Lolita territory. Exactly. I used to shop in the Walmart juniors section a lot when I was doing porn, just because everything's really bright. And it was more of that they, they constantly want really bright colors, like neons and stuff, because it pops. And in the women's section, there's a lot less of that very bright. Although I guess there is more so now. Um, But when you're trying to find like cheap, slutty little crop tops, you're more likely to get them at like Forever 21 than you are at Lane Bryant. I mean, Forever 21 is different from like Gap Kids though. I've been had some companies provide me outfits that are like very clearly like I heart daddy in like a child section size. Those ones are, yeah. Yeah. That's that's too far. I mean, even like Forever 21, I'm like, I remember going in there one time to shop for porn clothes when I was probably like 24. And I was like, I think I'm the only person who's over 21 here. I think I might be the only person over 16 here. This is, <laughs> I don't want to shop here anymore. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think that whole aesthetic is kind of creepy. And there's so many ways that like, I just think like adult women are sexy. And there's so many ways to like, play with that I mean even like the costumes that you see in like music videos and like at like Fashion Nova now that are like clearly intended for adult women and those are super sexy super slutty like border on like I would wear I've seen stuff at Fashion Nova I'm like I would wear this as a stripper exactly porn goes directly from teen like and everyone's a teen up until Mm -hmm. a certain age and then you're instantly a MILF and they skip the like 25 year old like sexy stripper aesthetic and I think that that's a product of uh, the fact that male directors are the ones making most of the wardrobe decisions. It has a lot to do with search terms, too, because it's a lot easier to search for teen or MILF. And I know that, like, there's been a push to have, like, the babe category, which is, like, girls in their 20s. I even heard that from people because I retired right when I turned 26. And a big part of, like, me deciding to retire was that, like, I know I'm hitting that, like, valley of I'm not a MILF. I don't look like a teenager anymore. I was lucky to like look like a teen until I was 25. I'm not a girl, not yet a MILF. Just like the old Britney Spears song, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But I also think that like a lot of the times, like the people that I would see that were getting those like quote unquote babe scenes were just like really big performers. Where like they were so hot and so popular that it didn't, people were searching for their name not in just a category. And like, I like got like fairly popular, but I was never at that like starlet level where people were like actively searching just for like Kate Kennedy. So I was like, "Ah, I'm gonna hang up my heels and retire. You know, what's also interesting though, is that the goalposts for what we consider young Mm -hmm. changes and we don't even realize it. So for example, I just Googled for shits and giggles, 
When did SpongeBob SquarePants come out? Because if you see someone wearing a SpongeBob crop top, you're not thinking MILF. (laughs) But if hypothetically someone was wearing a SpongeBob crop top, SpongeBob came out in 1999. Yeah. If we were going just by that age, that person's 22. And it was originally intended to teach children about marine life. And like Stephen Hillenbaum or whatever who invented it was like really upset with where they took it. He was not happy. And he died like a few years later. He had like some really aggressive cancer disease. And like, I don't think he ended up getting almost any money from it. He's still like in the credits of every episode because he created it. But um, he like sold it to Nickelodeon and they turned it. He, I think he initially made it as like a comic book. Like he wrote, he like drew like a graphic novel of like SpongeBob um, and his friends. And it was supposed to teach kids why like things like sea sponges and starfish that maybe aren't like super like exciting ocean creatures, like why they're so important to the ecosystem because he was a marine biologist. Super fascinating. It was in the Atlantic. (laughs) The most relatable scene for me will always be when SpongeBob is at Sandy's house and he can't breathe and he's slowly dying and he doesn't want to inconvenience her by telling her he's he's dying. dying. That is such an Alice episode. (laughs) You totally do. I think mine is the Krusty Krab pizza because that's exactly how I would approach a task like that. I would sing a really annoying song the entire time to get through it and drive whoever was with me absolutely crazy. Krusty Krab pizza is the pizza for you and me. Can we be real, though? I think Pearl, she calls Mr. Crab Daddy. Can we just all agree that she's probably a sugar baby? No, she's definitely his daughter. He says it so many times. Mm, are we sure about that? Like, me daughter Pearl. No, he me daughter Pearl. He says it all of the time. There is a lot of questions about how. How does that work? Maybe he's a generous philanthropist and adopted her. I don't know. I mean, if we're really asking questions about the SpongeBob universe, why is Pearl the same size as Mr. Krabs? Can you imagine a crab that was the size of the whale? Whales are big. That would be a really scary crab. There's definitely a horror movie about that. (laughs) Attack of the crustaceans. Terrifying. Either that or she's a really tiny whale, which would be adorable. Who's to know? How small can whales get? Even like whale calves weigh like a ton. Like a literally like one ton. They're massive. This is like the fourth conversation I've had about whales this week. They range from 13 to 20 feet. Yeah, they're big. It's like the size of a Honda. Yeah, so uh, crabs can't fuck whales. Uh, if this is news to anyone. Mini whales would be great. I don't want to encourage selective breeding, but I would love to have a mini whale. <laughs> I'd like to hope that our audience is in that dim where they can't think that like, oh yeah, crabs and whales definitely can't copulate. I don't know, man. People surprise me on the internet all of the time. We've selectively bred dogs to be very small. We do the same. I know. And I don't want to encourage that with whales. Imagine if we had pug-nosed whales. They just couldn't yeah. breathe. They're like trying to beach out of the water. And they're like. You know some couple in Brooklyn would adopt it. <laughs> it's my rescue whale. I rescued it. I live very close to SeaWorld, so I lately have been thinking a lot about rescuing whales. Oh, yeah. No, whales should not be in captivity either. Yeah. For sure. The problem is uh, that any whales bred in captivity is that when you release them back into the wild, they've never actually truly hunted for food or, you know, been surrounded by their environment, so they end up dying. The good news is that there's not really that many whales in like overall in terms of like domesticated animals in captivity. There's not that many of them. So we could kind of just let this generation die and then just not do it anymore. 
like we could just stop trying to do this and just let them die out. And then the rest of the whales can live in the ocean where they belong and where I will never go because even though they're gentle, mm -mm, they're just so big and you can't, you should not be ever in an environment where something that big could sneak up on you and you can't hear it. That's the scariest thing about the ocean for me. I don't like being able to not hear if something is sneaking up on me. So good news. There's only 60 orcas in captivity worldwide, 33 of which are captive born. And as of January 2019, there's only 20 live orcas in SeaWorld parks. So that doesn't explain to me where the other 40 orcas are. Probably in similar enterprises in other countries that SeaWorld has not expanded into. I'm sure there's other versions of SeaWorld in countries with more lax animal regulations. Yeah. Oh, speaking of lax animal regulations, are you guys familiar with, okay, I know these aren't real animals. Uh, have you guys heard of the Pokemon theme park in Japan? No. no. That sounds awesome, though. So Japan, for limited uh, time, and by limited, it's like nine months to a year, within one of their forests, they essentially are going to be recreating the world of Pokemon. That's Utilizing awesome. natural resources to recreate a ton of Pokemon. And you could be a trainer, go out with a Pokedex, capture animals. It's amazing. It's awesome. That is fantastic. What a great concept. Wow. The Japanese really kill it on the theme park front in general. They're just, they're, they're better at it than we, I don't know. Every time there's like a cool theme park like that, it's always in Japan. Are you guys watching the Olympics? Speaking of Japan. I'm not, so I have nothing to contribute to this topic so far. <laughs> so I know this is months after the Olympics, but I already have contention with, we have the 2020 Olympics going on in 2021. This is going to be a Jeopardy question one day. Oh, yeah. What year did the 2020 Olympics happen? The Olympics have been rescheduled or changed a few times or canceled a couple of times. There's been a few instances because they were definitely canceled during World War II. There was a year that they didn't do them because obviously, like, we're not going to get together right now. We're all, all fighting, so we'll wait. And then the, we boycotted the Moscow Games when Jimmy Carter was president. So it would have been, I think it was, I just remember Munich was 72 because it was really bad bombing. Yeah, we didn't go to the Moscow ones. And then now we're going to have them in LA in like 2028. And I'm definitely leaving. I'm wait, going out what? of town. Did you not know this? Oh, no. LA Olympics, man. No? Yeah. I can't imagine the infrastructure of the city getting any worse. <laughs> There's like a whole group of people in LA that are like no Olympics. They're like, please don't fucking do this. Like, we literally cannot. Like, there's yeah. 65,000 people sleeping on our streets. Like, this city is disgusting. Like, don't bring in another 100,000 people and build all of this. The one thing with actually, and I'm a big proponent of this because I do love the Olympics. I think they're really cool, but I hate the way that they're done. I don't think that we should be constantly having them in all of these other countries where we just like force them to build all of this infrastructure and then they never recoup it. The only Olympics that have ever recouped their costs were the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. And it's mostly because we already had all of the stadiums and stuff. So they didn't have to build that much. Whereas like, if you look at like Rio or like Athens, like hosting the Olympics was a big part of like why Greece later went bankrupt because <laughs> they build all of this stuff. They displace thousands of usually poor people and then it just sits there and it rots. So I think this is my opinion. I think that there should be like, eight to 10 Olympic host cities 
that are just in and they could be like cities where they kind of maybe need in different countries where they need like a push to put them on the map or whatever and just build the stadiums there and then they can just stay there and we can just reuse them and just move them around like one or two countries per continent can have an Olympic host city and then we can just keep because like I grew up in Colorado and Denver is like the only city to have turned down the Olympics like three times. They've been like, can we do them in Denver? And they're like, fuck no. Which frankly is the right thing to do because most people, when you say this, there's a staggering price tag associated with it. There really is. Uh, the average dollars. sports related cost of hosting the Olympics is $12 billion. Yeah. And that's to build brand new facilities, hotels, uh, shuttles, yeah. trains, all the services related with the Olympics, that's how much it costs. And a lot of those stadiums and a lot of those infrastructures are afterwards abandoned. abandoned. Mm -hmm. And they're very often built on top of areas where there's like a lot of poor people living there that are then kicked out by eminent domain. So like in both Rio and Beijing, they tore down like entire neighborhoods, like displacing thousands of people. And they're usually not like, they don't tear down Beverly Hills. They tear down the really poor neighborhoods and then those people are adversely affected. So like the Olympics as an idea are cool. I love, I personally love watching them. I love the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies. Like I just think they're, I like the outfits. I have all of the team Canada stuff going back to like Salt Lake city because <laughs> my family always buys it for us. And I love them. I, I think they're really, really fun, but there's like has to be a better way to do this. It's insane that like everyone is aware this is a bad idea and we just keep doing it because we've, always done it this way but we've only been having them for like a hundred years like I don't even think they're a hundred years old yet the modern Olympics the first ones were in the 20s what I love is um how countries hastily try to fix slash hide their social issues yep. before yeah. the Olympics it's like the modern equivalent of like how people shove stuff into a dryer or into a, a closet. closet but instead it's like you're throwing mass poverty into a dryer and shutting the door yeah everything's fine guys like and when they were doing in Rio and they were doing the like whatever race it was that was like through the bay and like everyone that lived there was like there's bodies in there like there's literally like rotting corpses and like furniture like it's one of the most like polluted harbors like in the world and they were just like randomly going through and like dragging it to try to get all of this like garbage and like bio waste out of the water and then putting like the best athletes in the world and even the way that we like have athletes go to it like most athletes especially that aren't in like big sports like if you're not like Simone Biles or Usain Bolt like you're broke going to the Olympics they like crowdfund to be able to do it and it costs so much they can't really have a full-time job and most people like they're not like sponsoring like the sharpshooters you know or like any of the weird and I love that we have the weird sports in it but it really sucks that we expect people to just go bankrupt trying to like achieve their goal okay so speaking of shooting so you guys know that shooting is a sport at the Olympics, right? Obviously. I'd imagine that Americans would be very good at that one event. We are. We're not. Really? I think we, <laughs> I thought we are. That's ironic. Well, it's not done in a school. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. It's not our uh, home field. We don't have the home field advantage. We don't have enough straight white men doing that sport. <laughs> really? Because I would assume the American team is mostly straight white men yeah. for sharpshooting. Shockingly, the Japanese are killing us in that sport, uh, no pun intended, but then again, uh, with how suicidal and the press of that country is, makes total sense. Kind of does. This tracks. This tracks. Do you hear Bruce Springsteen's daughter is at the Olympics this year? 
Or yeah, I think it's her what? daughter. Yeah, yeah, it's his daughter. She's an equestrian. Jessica oh, Springsteen. She's on the U.S. equestrian team. Of course, that's such a rich ass person's sport. Yeah, that's anyone that does that sport is has to be incredibly wealthy. I actually prefer the Winter Olympics to the Summer Olympics because I really like the ice skating and the luge. I love luge and I love curling. Curling is like one of the funnest sports to watch. Like there should, it should be on like TV regularly. Like it should be up there with like hockey in terms of ice sports that I could just watch on ESPN. I love when they do the, the thing with the broom and they're like, like, it's just, it's such a frantic and you're like, oh, is it going to land? Is it going to land? It's just so exciting. It's like shuffleboard with infinitely higher stakes. They added skateboarding to the Olympics this year. I saw seven. that. Yeah. yeah. there's Isn't there a couple new sports this year? I believe surfing as well. Yeah, there's surfing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some newcomers. So karate, skateboarding, sport climbing, and surfing, they're all newer. I heard sport climbing was in it too. That's kind of cool. I don't really... Is it like a timed thing? I don't really know how you would compete in that. I'd love if dodgeball could be part of the Olympics. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. We would dominate that for sure. I can't see that being a game in any other country. Right? I mean, the only people I could see doing better. Yeah. Russia or Germany, I could see. Germany. (laughs) Overcoming the Americans, but like, that's it. It would be exactly like the movie Dodgeball. (laughs) That would be a really fun. What other sports would be great in the Olympics? Pole dancing. Oh, yeah. Olympic pole dancing. That would be awesome. Pole dancing is so fucking cool. Like, as an art. Like, even when you're not a stripper and I know a lot of like sex workers kind of have some beef with that because it's I and I do too like do they oh yeah because we hate it when like a lot of like there are a lot of like really popular pole dancers because there are competitions and everything for it it is a sport but a lot of like the women and men that are involved in it will be like they'll literally hashtag not a stripper and you're like we came up with this this was this was our thing first you're appropriating our entire culture and then like xing us out of it that's really uncool but competitive pole dancing is incredible it's like so beautiful it's so hard there's so i mean you look at those especially the women they're just like athletes it's so much gymnastics i recently when i was doing my first class i thought oh i'll look so graceful and sexy uh i didn't at all. Nope. Uh, by the way, also wearing like long gym pants and uh, workout leggings. Oh. You can't climb a pole in that. Nope. No, not happening. You really can't. Wear. I ordered workout shorts just so I could keep trying. Yeah, you absolutely have to wear shorts at the minimum, like shorts or like even like hot pants, like really high up because, yeah, you definitely cannot climb a pole in pants. Can I tell you, by the way, I know this is completely off topic. Can I tell you, ladies, something dark? Please, always. Yes. As opposed to all the school shooting jokes you must made, you just made. <laughs> Let's get darker. Well, don't worry. It's slightly worse. So I've always thought we lived in the darkest timeline, but I'm wrong. What is the darkest time? You guys are familiar with uh, the Challenger explosion, correct? Yes. Yes. Cool. What I didn't know until recently is that NASA was in talks with Sesame Street to put Big Bird on the Challenger. I did know oh, that, actually. No. Oh, Yes. And the only reason they didn't have Big Bird, who canonically is six years old on Sesame Street, is they wanted to promote him to, you know, be on to uh, show how safe Mm -hmm. space travel is, ironically. Uh, But the only reason they couldn't have him on is because the uh, spacesuit didn't fit. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. But we almost lived in a timeline where Big Bird was 
blown up on the challenger. Yeah, because I mean, that was part of what was so sad about it was there was that teacher that was going to go up and do like science experiments and have it like live streamed back to earth for the kids to watch. And I think he was supposed to like be helping with that. And also the reason why the entire challenger exploded is because one O-ring, it was an unseasonably cold morning in Florida and there was a little bit of frost and one O-ring became like uh, compromised because of the temperature fluctuation. And the cost to replace that O-ring was about 10 cents. Wow. It's literally one tiny little thing. And they inspected it yesterday and they just didn't think they were like, you know, everything's fine. They're in all the safety. It was literally, it went, came down to one about like the size of a quarter piece of rubber, like the same kind of O-ring that you have on uh, your like sinks and stuff. And actually, you know, what's even more fascinating <laughs> is that the company that manufactured those O-rings is owned by fundamentalist polygamist Mormons in Utah who are now being un- investigated by like the IRS and like a bunch of other companies for tax cheats. It's unrelated, but um, yeah, there's a, <laughs> that, that's a rabbit hole. You can go really deep on that. There's uh, so many things that are tangentially related to that that are very dark. By the way, as someone who's currently been living in Salt Lake for the last few weeks. Oh yeah. So much I didn't know about the Mormon, uh, I'm going to just call it a culture slash cult. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We'll call it cult. Sure. Cult. Sure. Yeah, so I didn't know about the special underwear where, uh, by the way, uh, guys, there is special underwear where where you are indoctrinated into the church. You need to kind of reconfirm every two years that you're actually wearing the special long underwear that they need you to wear. That's f- And there's a huge push right now by women asking for it to be better designed because it does have like a cap sleeve and it's long and they're made of like synthetic fabrics. Um, and so a lot of women suffer from like chronic UTIs and different kinds of like rashes and yeast infections um, because it's not breathable. And you do have it. It's like the closest to your skin. So you wear your bra like over it. It was just in the New York Times like last week, um, all of these women speaking out about it and saying like, I had this my entire life. And as soon as I left the church and stopped wearing this, um, it cleared up immediately. So they're really trying to push to get like anyone to listen to them, this is a serious health concern. And these underwear are based on designs from like the 1880s. And I guess at one point they did have like a famous like swimsuit designer come in to design them. They have gone through changes in the past. So it's not crazy that they could redesign them. But the Mormon church is all run by like elderly white men. It literally just looks like the GOP. <laughs> if you look at the list of Mormon bishops, you're like, oh, these are people that work in the Senate, right? And I mean, when it comes to stuff that's been changed throughout the Mormon culture that I'm going to continue to call it, yeah. it's incredible how much of that they're trying to change things. Like they were at one point teaching that, you know, people with dark skin, you know, yeah. were just a different breed of people that, you know, weren't anointed by God. That, uh, you know, you had to have a secret word and secret handshakes in order to be part of the church. Gosh, it's just so culty. I didn't realize how culty this was. Until I started looking into it and the ex-Mormons and their TikToks, it's really unhealthy. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I also didn't realize that it's like, I, I assume that, no, you can't have caffeine, but no, it's just, no, coffee, just coffee. You can have caffeine, you can't have coffee. Mm. I think it comes down to like hot liquids or the devil's temperature. There's actually a huge problem in Utah because they can't have coffee. So um, like energy drinks and soda are really, really popular. And there's like a huge problem with people getting diabetes because they drink these, and I don't know if you've been to one of these, Alice, but they, they're they in 
uh, Salt Lake City especially, they have like soda shacks kind of instead of like Starbucks. And you can go get these massive sodas with all of these extra syrups added and whipped cream and nerds and candy in them. And like they go get them like that's like a Frappuccino, which is also not good for you, but it's not literally sugar. It's actually a big like kind of health problem. Although I will say that like Mormonism, I think part of why we think Mormonism is so funny is because it's so new. And like, so we can look at this and be like, oh, this is a ridiculous religion. It's only 150 years old. This is so dumb. If you dig far enough into any religion, it all becomes really wacky. Like there are Catholics that like worship people's toenails. Absolutely a thing. That said, it's amazing though, because a lot of them do go on missions because of that. They end up speaking multiple languages. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, a lot of customer service centers are based out of Salt Lake City, exactly mm -hmm. Utah. And in addition, there's a lot of, because they're disincentivized from alcohol and drugs, a lot of them end up going into the CIA and FBI. There's a disproportionate number of Mormons working for the federal government because they disproportionately pass drug tests, Yeah, which I think is hilarious. I could also kind of see the appeal of that, especially as like a religion that historically was like run out of the country. Like they really went to Utah to get away from the U.S. government because they were persecuting them for being polygamists. Um, so I could definitely see the appeal of, I think, especially as religions age, they go from being like, leave us alone to like, oh, wait, we're going to run the government instead. This is, we can affect change at a much higher level. We'll just get, we'll infiltrate it and proselytize our values. Mormons in general are just, they're such an interesting culture. There really is no other place in the U.S. that is so like homogenous in terms of who lives there. I have a lot of friends in Salt Lake City, um, most of whom are ex-Mormons. And like, yeah, some of their stories are just nuts. I'm fairly convinced, though, half the women here are Instagram moms. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And they're also gorgeous. Like, some of the hottest women I have ever seen. Like, you walk around downtown Salt Lake City, like, go to Temple Square. It's, like, fucking supermodel, supermodel. Like, they're they're so hot. Mormon girls are so hot. They all have names I can't pronounce. Yeah, they're all named, like, Lakeland and Matt Madeline with extra Ys. And they're all, like, 5'8 and blonde. And they weigh 105 pounds. And you're like, all right, whatever. Fuck you, Paisley. Uh, Paisley with a, with a Y in the middle. Yeah, and an extra E at the end. Two E's, two e E's at the end. P-A-Y-S-L-E-E. -E. Someone wrote an article about why they go for names like that. It has something to do with them. It might be because they don't like Catholics or something, and every Catholic historically just named their kids John and Mary. I'm Googling it right now. I always assumed it was kind of a precious, my kid is unique and therefore will have the most special name. Yes, I think it does have something to do with that. Yeah. Oh, I do like this mix and match chart I did just stumble upon, which is essentially like category A and category B. Category A has like uh, for syllables like May, Kai, Tay, Bryn, Jay, Kin, Cam. And category B is Lee, C, Lin, Lur, Din, Sun, Bree. So you could say like May, Bree, K, C, uh, K, Lur, K, Den. I didn't realize that there was a whole chart around this. Oh, wait, I found it. It was in Slate. Oh, yeah. Okay, so my first is a historical cultural theory that the penchant for invented names among Mormons lies in its very foundation. It goes all the way back to Joseph Smith, who had to come up with the names of hundreds of figures to populate the faith's foundational text, the Book of Mormon. Yeah, because he really was just sitting in Illinois being a fucking crazy person, being like, there was definitely a war here, even though there's no archaeological evidence. We were like living among angels, and that was a thing. 
So it could definitely be that. So this was also around the time of the gold rush. Mm -hmm. And there were these digs that Joseph Smith would take people on and essentially would be, he would say that God showed that there is gold in a certain area and that if you dig, you'll hit it. But if gold isn't there while you're digging, it's because someone within the group sinned and therefore God moved the gold. And he was arrested for this at one point in time. The second theory... It was fraud. Yeah. And he did admit it to his family. It was fraud. It was clear fraud. The whole thing was like fraud. So the other thing is kind of like what Jamie said. Jamie's also right about this other hypothesis. I mean, the author has this, but the author, I guess, grew up in Salt Lake City and probably has reasons why she's writing this. But because the Mormons do consider themselves the peculiar people, like that is a term they use for themselves. And because it is such a homogenous population, ethnically and like religious wise, and they're so pushed to procreate, they have so many kids and they're all intent, like expected to dress modestly, kind of the same and they don't drink. There's nothing to like stand out. So it's like one of the only ways that they can like stand out is by having a different kind of name. Oh, interesting. Super fascinating. I also like the names amongst the Amish that are just like super biblical of like someone you've never heard of, like Old Testament, like Zephora or like even like Jedediah. Jedediah is I guess a little more common, but they always have like super crazy old names. So tying this back into adult. Okay, porn names. I want to talk about this. There was some great Mormon porn. There was a Mormon porn site for a while. I really wanted to do it. I wanted to do it so bad. They bought the special underwear. It was like a baptism and then they all fucked. I really, it shut down like right before I joined the industry. And I, it's one of my largest career regrets that I never got to do that. I look really good in braids. Is there Amish porn? Oh yeah, there's definitely Amish porn. Absolutely. Speaking of Mormons, uh, there was a Mormon baptism story I was reading where a woman was like, yeah, I had to get baptized like dunked three times because when you're being baptized, every single part of you needs to be underwater. And her hair kept floating up. So therefore, that she had to tie her hair and someone hold to, had to hold her hair down because it kept floating upwards. Oh, that suck. That's just like religiously approved waterboarding. But to porn names, Alice. Yeah, so uh, interesting porn names. I mean, I know that a lot of people, it sounds like, I feel like I've definitely heard a lot of variations of like the same names like Bailey and Rain and Sylvia and Sage and stuff like that in the industry or Amber or Rose, but just spelled in different ways. There's a bunch of Rileys for a while. Yeah, wow, Everyone's named Riley. There's a bunch of Ashleys. So here's my question. How can we make poor names different? And should we use regular names like or older names like uh, Esther and Gertrude and bring them into porn? I actually think Esther's a really pretty name. And I'm a big fan of Esther Pavitsky, the comic. And she has a, a joke about that where she's like, when I moved out to Hollywood, someone was like, are you going to change your name? And she was like, no, I don't think so. Like, I like Pavitsky. And they're like, no, Esther. And she's like, oh, yeah, both my names are ugly. Fuck. Jamie, how do we diversify porn names within the industry? I think Will Pounder has a pretty good model of how to do it because, you know, his name is a, he's got a pun in there, which I think is pretty cute. When I was selecting my porn name, I was talking to my agent and it's like, well, I want to be Roxy Thrills. And he rejected that very, very hard. So I think they need to, there needs to be like a porn naming board and we need to like submit our suggestions. And if it's too, like 80s porny and not a pun, then 
needs to be out. I had to come up with a ton of names when I first got into it. Um, Because my very, like the first couple of scenes I did, I was Kate Kenzie, which I thought was cute. And I initially wanted it to be like Kenzie, like the Kenzie scale. Oh, I love that. I know it's cute. Right? I don't remember why I didn't do that. But then it was like right at the beginning, they were like, there's too many Kenzies. You're blonde. It's confusing. Like you have to. And I was sitting at a sushi restaurant in Chatsworth with a friend just like coming up with like literally lists of like any kind of last name I could find because you do and then you have to Google it and make sure no one else has it or if they do that you're more famous than them. It's actually kind of hard to pick your name. And then there's been people that had to change their name later. Like um, I think it was Dakota Sky, which I think she just passed away, which is very sad. But her original porn name was Bailey Blue, uh, which is also the name of a clothing line. Like it was a line of clothes and they found out that she was, it was like totally separate thoughts. Like she didn't know about it. And they found out and they like threatened to sue her if she didn't change her name. Oh no. But they could go ahead and sue her and it's not a, she's not trademarked within a niece category. So the lawsuit would have gone nowhere. I think they could say damages, that it was like damaging their brand reputation. Mm-hmm. Only if she's infringing on their trademark could they sue. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They send her like a cease and desist or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a thing, though. A lot of companies will like pound their fists, but unless they can prove damages, then they're, they could pound sand. That's all. Because, okay, yeah. so I know this because I worked in trademarks for a little while. When you're registering for a trademark, you have to register for a specific category. So, for example, if you're registering for, like you were saying, Bailey and Blue, yeah. for a clothing apparel line, that doesn't mean that I can't come out with a film and television series called Bailey Blue And I would not be infringing on your trademark unless you also registered for that specific niece. Yeah. I remember reading about this and I kind of remember reading about it because I was at a thrift store and I saw a dress that was from Bailey Blue and I was like, oh, and then it like came up one time like on the internet and I read something about it. So I don't remember all of the details of why they were able to do it. But I also think there's something about being a porn star or an adult worker or even the threat of going to court against like a corporate entity is probably enough to make you change your name because even if the law is on your side, historically, like you might lose anyways. And if you don't have like deep pockets to fight it also. That's what also happens. People don't have enough money, so they just don't want to fight it. Yeah, don't want to get into it. Yeah. But that said, I mean, look, if I ever went into porn, I absolutely would use um, Olivia Cockburn, which is Olivia Wilde's real name. Hilarious. Oh, that's amazing. Because it's a shame. It's a shame for Hollywood that she didn't use her real name and instead went with Olivia Wilde. I understand why. I feel this way about Natalie Portman. Because her real name is Natalie Hirschlag. <sighs> I think it'd be really funny if there was a porn star called like Natalia Hirschlag. That'd be funny. Like just change a little bit. I mean, technically, because I'm Kate Kennedy and that's that was technically was uh, JFK's sister was Kathleen Kennedy, but they all called her Kick Kennedy, which I think is so cute. Aww. I didn't realize that until much later. But I'm like, oh, Kick is such a cute nickname. Like, oh, I would have should have done that. But I also really don't want to tangle with the Kennedy Foundation <laughs> in terms of whether or not they're upset about my porn name. That I, no matter what the law says, I will lose that battle or I will just be assassinated. So, you know, that's a podcast, not a real thing that needs to happen. Well, there's also Kathleen Kennedy, uh, the producer and the of president Star Wars. of Lucasfilm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the other one, which is real fun. We don't have Lucasfilm money on our side. We do not. We do not. We also don't have Lucasfilm notoriety on our side because a lot of people don't like her because apparently she's ruining Star Wars. I don't know. 
not that into Star Wars, but people have opinions. I try to stay out of them. I'm like, I'm the slutty one. Different thing. Just like Star Wars. Just like Star Wars. Or at least the prequels. Yes, exactly. Hopefully that Lando series comes out good. I hope so, too. Uh, Jamie, topics we want to cover. We've gone all over. We've gone from uh, Woody Allen's The Worst to Wedding Dresses, Olympics, Big Bird, uh, being on The Challenger to diversifying porn names to be more like Mormons. Uh, what have we not covered today? It's a pretty good list. I mean, I just got back from Exotica. Oh, how was that? It was amazing. It was the first adult convention since COVID and also the first in-person big you know, adult convention since I've gotten into the industry because I started like October 2020. Um, yeah. So I'd never met porn fans before. So that was a new experience. How did it go? I was prepared for all the interaction with like single men Mm -hmm. of a certain age. Um, What I was not prepared for was the number of like middle-aged couples who would come up to me at my signing booth and try to proposition me for threesomes. All the time. That was a new experience. This Um, goes back to why I don't like swingers. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely colors that experience. Um, it, it is weird. There's like a sense of entitlement, I think, especially amongst women that attend porn conventions where it's like, well, I'm also a woman, so I can say this too. And it's like, you cannot. I think about you the same way I think about the chubby, overweight guy who lives in his mom's basement and faps off to me. In my head, you are the same. I, I don't differentiate. So things that could be better and worse next time. Oh, I mean, I was with the bad dragon tent and I got... This is not an improvement to the event because I think this was a pretty fantastic element to it is that Bad Dragon and a lot of the other sex toy companies were running around handing out interesting new sex toys to performers, which I am very excited about because I now have a giant tentacle like a foot long from Bad Dragon, which is great. I had one of those. It's awesome. Yes. You use it as a centerpiece. <laughs> it's on my ceiling, like stuck in the middle of the room <gasps> with a suction cup right now. That's what I did. I had it as like a over my headboard in my last apartment before I sent it off to a friend. And it holds. It does. It's really stuck on there. I feel like I need to get more now and just make it like a design element throughout my house. It's always nice how much swag you get at those. I love it when companies do that. I still have like a full kink.com rope bondage kit that I like haven't even opened from like a couple years ago. So anything you're going to change going to your next Exotica? Well, my agents told me to bring DVDs, and I brought DVDs very skeptically. Like, who who in the world would buy porn DVDs? And then I ended up selling out of them in about two hours on the first night, which is insane. So I suppose I'm bringing more DVDs, and people seem to buy anything at those conventions. Like, I was shocked at the amount of people selling, like, keychains and, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. printed condoms with their, like, performer name on them, and... I don't know. I'm going to get weird with the merch next time since people will um, people will spend money on anything. Panties, photos, DVDs, stickers are always really popular. I used to make little like trading cards almost. I would just like do them on Vistaprint. But like for people that couldn't like buy a photo, like maybe they didn't want to spend like $25, but I'd be like, hey, you can have like a little one of these and it's free. And it just like had my name and like my, I think the links like my OnlyFans and Twitter and stuff on it. It was almost like a business card, but I was like, oh, you can remember this. I mean... I eventually should have a booth at Exotica for the sheer reason that I also have. Um, I mean, if I'm going to sell something, I have the porn pack of offensive crayons. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, I, I make crayons in my spare time. And 
I mean, it's like slutty stepmom Scarlet, pull my hair pink, bondage rope brown. Oh, Alice, what if we made microphone dildos? Like two girls, one mic. But what if it was like a double-ended dildo with like a lot of work? It would be cool. That would be pretty cute. I just got a hammer. There was a hammer vibrator that was getting passed out at this event and it was very popular. So I always used to bribe one of the like my free cams girls to let me back in their merch tent because they have like the best merch booth. But it's like you have to be an MFC girl and I like I'm not. So I would always like go up like like, real casual. I got like exotic or at ABN and be like, hey, hey, kid, come here. Come here. Give you 20 bucks if you let me back there real quick. And then a lot of them walked off with my $20, which was not ideal. But when you can get in, I mean, I've gotten like beach towels, tote bags, Hitachis, bathrobes, slippers, flip-flops, bikinis. Like they have such great merch. They also make my all-time favorite tank top, crop top. It's the softest thing. It looks so good on everybody. And I can't, I spilled spaghetti on my first one. So I had to eventually find a girl to get me a new one. I know we've talked about conventions on the show a handful of times, but I wasn't sure if AVNs are happening 2022. And from a friend of mine, she told me that she heard from like Billy Visual that supposedly AVNs are happening Mm -hmm. in this coming January, which is shocking to me because a lot of people don't know that. uh, So AVNs, by the way, uh, they have like a staff of 20 to 30 people, uh, which they laid off like 95% of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have done this conference enough times where you would think that, you know, they kind of have an idea of what needs to be booked, what needs to be done. So they probably can hire out freelancers and contractors. But I'm just genuinely curious what's going on. I know that 90% of who is the person that is either in charge of the freelancers or making it happen is Peter Warren. He is the guy. And if you bother him that weekend, he will turn red. And I swear to God, I've seen steam come out of his ears. Uh, he's very stressed out that weekend in January. And a lot of the times, actually. He's he's a pretty stressed out dude. But um, I have also heard that they're happening this year. So we'll see. I'm sure they're probably talking to the people that do Exotica and seeing like, hey, how did it go? Can we do this? You know, we will see. And I'm sure if they're back, I will some like for some reason, I will end up having to go. What a life. What a life. Girl, I'll pull you in with me because at the end of the day, like if there's enough people, like there's so many guests of the show that yeah. go to AVN. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll go see my friends. Yeah. And we'll hang out. I mean, you know, we're vaccinated. I don't give a shit. I, I'm like talking so much shit. I do enjoy AVN. It's pretty stressful if you are I a performer. Love it. It's if you're a performer, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money. And so it's kind of like a it's like a big project that you're staring down, getting ready, everything to go, budgeting everything. Like, I mean, you're really spending three to five thousand dollars just to be there for the weekend. That's pretty typical. Really? No one has warned me about that so far. So thank you. It's kind of pricey. Um, There's a good hotel across the street as well that's like a little bit less expensive. I stayed there last time. Oh my God, the Alexis. No, I've stayed at the Alexis several times. Like it's like a little like boutique. It's crappier than the Hard Rock. It's not as nice, but it was, I think, $600 as opposed to $1,500. Because I stayed in the Alexis for an evening. And just to give you guys an idea, there was a stairway that led to the upstairs Mm -hmm. And uh, in this stairway, not like not off to the side, but in this stairway, 
there was a hot tub and it was clawed apart. So there were so many scratches and dents yes. in that. I know exactly what room you're talking about. I still have nightmares and uh, I have so many photos that I yeah. had to show to the front desk of like, this is not okay. Yeah. Also, it's a carpeted uh, staircase. Yeah. There's a big BDSM convention there in like February every year. It's called Sin in the City. And I did that for a number of years. I went and it's always at the Alexis Park. Um, so I stayed there many times. I did my first gangbang at the Alexis Park ever. It's like way before I was in porn. That was just for funsies. The Alexis is weird because it's very hit or miss. Like I've had rooms there one year where the room was perfectly fine. It was clean. It was nice. Everything was okay. And then I've had other years where I got there and I was like, I'm going back to the desk and requesting a different room. This is gross. It's super hit or miss. It's weird, but I know what you're talking about. I would say if it's your first time at AVN, I do recommend shelling out and staying at the Hard Rock. It's a little bit more, but it's just so much more convenient, especially because you're, oh, your banner. You have to get a giant fucking seven foot tall banner of you. That's like $300. So like, and you're lugging that around, like, you know, you're having to like go all these places. It, it is easier if you're in the Hard Rock. Jamie, you excited? <laughs> um, excited to meet more people <laughs> every time I've had the opportunity to meet other women in the industry that has been like the highlight of my month so it is really fun you get to it's like summer camp you get to see everybody yeah. like that maybe doesn't live around the like I would I loved going because I would get to see all my friends from Vegas or my friends from Portland or friends that just like live in different places and come out and shoot so that's really fun and you get to like hang out at the circle bar and it is fun to get to dress crazy my top AVN tips, never wear your signing outfit out on the casino floor. No matter how cute you think you look, you will get super harassed and it's really scary. Mm -hmm. um, people will scream at you because there's usually simultaneously going on while AVN is happening is also the concrete convention, which is what it sounds like. It's a bunch of construction dudes there to learn about <laughs> new kinds of concrete. And there's a gun show. So like a bunch of construction workers, a bunch of gun nuts, and all of the porn stars in the world are in one hotel for the weekend. Wait, I want to go to those. Yeah, I know. They, they happen simultaneously. You can just go. Although the, the construction guys are kind of great to schmooze at the bar because they will buy you drinks all night. They got that lumber money. Well, also concrete money, concrete which money, is clearly. fucking everywhere. Yes. Bring like a robe or like a big like coat that you can just like throw over whatever you're wearing to walk into the convention. And then you can just take it off and be in your outfit. Uh, also flats. When you're doing that, and then you can change into your stripper shoes because a lot of times they, they have us all in the same towers, like for AVNs, so you're all kind of near other performers, but it is kind of far to walk. And if you're in stripper heels, it's unpleasant. I know they're redoing it, but prior to this year, the floors were never super even, mm -hmm. which is not really what you want in stripper heels. But that and then, I mean, I would always bring a lot of my own food and like power bars and stuff because it is kind of it's not fun to be like dressed super slutty every day, but all you can eat is like greasy pizza and burgers. Oh, and uh, a humidifier because otherwise your skin will get super fucked up. I always bring like a humidifier and put it right next to my bed and then I take all my makeup off with like vitamin E oil every night because otherwise you have so much makeup on for so long mm -hmm. and then the air in the casino is so crappy because it has like the extra oxygen and then there's the smoke and it's like I can feel myself breaking out talking about it. <laughs> But yeah, those are my top AVN tips. It's really fun. I know nothing I'm saying about it makes it sound fun, but it is really fun. So Jamie, where can our listeners find more of you? Twitter is the best place, at Jamie Jet XXX, and that is Jet with two Ts, just like Joan Jet. And I'm also on OnlyFans, onlyfans.com slash Jamie Jet. Awesome. Yeah. 
No Instagram because they took my profile down because they hate sex workers. But Twitter, yeah. Yeah, Twitter at least has it together. I applied recently for super fans. We'll see if that ever amounts to anything. Probably won't. Oh, I applied too. I haven't heard back. Super fans? They're trying to be OnlyFans where they're allowing people to have people subscribe to see certain content. And the only reason I would do it is because I wouldn't have to move to a different platform. It would all be under one. This is on Twitter, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because that's what I applied for too. It's yeah, it's like monetizing your Twitter, which I have said for years, people should have to pay money to see my Twitter. I put a lot of effort into it. I've been sitting on a really good tweet that I'm going to send right after this. Actually, I thought about it like earlier while I was getting ready. I've been seeing that for years. You can currently look at it for free if you want to, though. Um, it's at the OG Kennedy. The is in the. OG is an original gangster. Kennedy, like the dead president. Uh, you can find my OnlyFans at the same place, theogkennedy.com. Or you can find my Instagram at the PG, because it's safe for work, Kennedy, like the dead president. Frankly, there's too many things on Twitter that uh, shouldn't be free. Look, any of my thoughts shouldn't be free. Uh, they're bad. People should pay for that. It's kind of sadomasochistic. If every single person that subscribed to my Twitter paid me $1, I could like buy a house. Just a dollar, guys. For all of these shit posts and random late night thoughts, like the one I had the other day, which is terribly written. The grammar makes no sense, but the gist was like, if I ever do get married, I will have a Steely Dan cover band play my reception. No! Like three o'clock in the morning. Yes, Alice. Yes. Fuck you! Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's the reaction I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, no, if you, no. hey, if you want a different kind of wedding, Alice, throw your wedding. Have one. We can dance to whatever you want. I won't even request any Steely Dan from the DJ. I promise. I swear to God, if I hear one more guy ever break out into like something like, I don't know, fucking Babylon Sisters or King Charlemagne or do it again, I will slash his throat. Such I've just, I've been to one too many karaoke's where there's been a guy who just decides to break out and Stanley Dan. And it, maybe it's just me or the men in my life who are over 40 who are really into Steely Dan. Um, exactly. That's most of my friends, Alice. Know your demographic for who's coming to your party. I need to cut out toxic people in my life. So that's clearly anyone who listens and or performs Steely Dan. So thank you, Kate. I love you, but I can't do this. I have loved being on your podcast and you mean a lot to me in my life. And I'm so, this is not the way I thought it was going to go down. I really thought you and I were going to like Thelma and Louise it one day. But if this is the end... They die! They suicide in the end. Yeah, I mean, that's what this feels like in our friendship. I cannot lose any more friendships over Steely Dan. This is one too many. Oh, what an impasse. Um, you're a great co-host, but you love Steely Dan. Jesus. Um, Nobody's perfect. I've said that about too many men. Uh, I have to think about this. Very fair. Our listeners yeah. can think about it, too. Just, I hope you... For the rest of the week, anyone listening, please let this sit on your gray matter. But I, I just, I don't get the appeal. You know what? Email me, info2girlsonmike.com. Um, why Steely Dan? Why not Steely Dan? Just why? Because I don't want to do your dirty work, Alice. <laughs> All right, Josie. 
So guys, you can follow the show at all places at TGM Podcast. You can follow me, Alice, at Rational Blonde on Twitter. Uh, but of course, you could subscribe to the show, like, comment, follow us on Patreon, donate to the show. We always appreciate it. Patreon.com slash two girls on mic. But of course, catch us next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.